Well, I kind of see myself as Captain America mixed with Iron Man, his wit, and maybe the Hulk a little bit. Maybe not that big or green, but uh, I kind of want to be that superhero that like kind of just eases into that 100 year, you know, 120. You know what I mean? I got you. No, I I I love the superhero stuff, and I love those metaphors. (laughs) I think they're a great example for us. I I think we want to be all those guys. I think so. Level. Nick Delgado and Dr. Todd Ovakaitis. We're here talking about amazing case studies. Tell me about the first one that you'd like to share with me. Well, it's probably even better to share a clinical study. Okay. Which was formally done. And it highlights the issue of needing the cells to go there, stay there, and repair there. Okay. And this is a study in persons who uh, needed improved heart function. And this was done in Armenia with the support of the government. And it was persons with very low ejection fractions, so low that they were were heart transplant candidates, ejection fractions on average of 21%. Is that done with an echocardiogram and possibly, I know they can do like a stress echo now, Dr. Fuzz in Newport Beach talked to me about that. Is is that the method of measurement for ejection fraction or you have some other elegant way with imaging? Uh, It was just echocardiograms. Okay. Standard, Mm -hmm. done by cardiologists. Nice. And so the average ejection fraction starting was 21%. And below 30%, it's considered to be severe end-stage heart failure. So they were all basically heart transplant candidates with the range of 20 to 25% ejection fraction. And our comparison was results with stem cells using invasive cardiac catheterization. So there was a meta-analysis published where they combined the data from many studies of using intracoronary autologous stem cells, so stem cells from that person injected into the coronary arteries. So overcoming the problem of getting the cells there was done. If you inject the cells into an end artery of an organ, you know you're getting them in there. So that first step, getting the cells there was accomplished. What was interesting though, was despite getting the full payload of cells to the heart, that the average result was only about an 8% improvement in function after six months. So that was our comparison. Got it. Now, our protocol, as we described, once we had uh, cells that were stimulated by this song of the stem cells before injecting them. Using photoacoustic? Using the photoacoustic process we described. Yes. That the cells were injected intravenously, much less invasive clearly than a cardiac catheterization a vein as opposed to a coronary artery, very big difference in invasiveness, the cells were then directed using this photoacoustic process to the heart. So the heart was scanned with this process for five minutes from the anterior direction, five minutes from the left lateral direction. And the idea is this beam is probably vibrationally going all the way through the body from one side to the other in both directions. And where those beams cross is the strongest signal the greatest attractor field for the cells to go there and to stick. So it's all about probabilities when you get into quantum physics. So we're increasing the probability, we believe, that a stem cell actually goes where you want it to go. Now, 
instead of an 8% improvement in function after six months and doing IV instead of intracoronary, we saw not 8%, but 14% in three days. Wow. Tremendous. Which was already statistically significant, and that increased to 25% in one month, oh, 37% wow. in two months, and 50% in three months. You answered my next question. Mm -hmm. So that being said, uh, that opens up, because coronary heart disease is the number one killer, this whole field of bringing people at, they're almost at death's bed at 8%, level of function in, in regards to ejection fraction or we're saying that eight percent improvement based on whatever ejection fraction they were at to the to a certain level right so with with the intracoronary treatment there was an eight percent improvement in function whatever in percentage function. of ejection fraction gotcha that that understood meant. okay so let's jump ahead let's say someone has an autoimmune condition Hashimoto's disease Crohn's disease lupus is there some work going on in this area with autoimmune conditions and these very very, uh, very small, small embryonic-like embryonic stem cells. V-cells. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got this. This is good. But go ahead. Is there? There is quite a bit of work, as you know, with stem cells and autoimmune conditions in general. Yeah. And a lot of very promising results in that area. And I won't go into specifics here because of our sure. limitations of making any claims. Right. Uh, other than saying that if we combine the whole picture for those conditions, which is nutritional, metabolic, diet, lifestyle. Hopefully plant-based closer to, right? Right, for that condition food. especially. Mm -hmm. Gluten-free. Yeah, dairy-free. Dairy-free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and ideally they do some uh, ALA test or uh, food inflammatory testing to see how their own body's reacting to the particular foods as well. More personalized, but right, go ahead. Right, exactly. Okay. Personalized approach. That when we combine all those modalities and can include stem cells that we can see significant improvement. Okay, so let's jump ahead to uh, another subgroup being neurological disorders. Uh, some case studies or studies in progress with say Parkinson's, uh, are you doing anything with uh, a, uh, MS at all or, or should we just stay with uh, uh, MS and anything with say with Alzheimer's? Any of those you wanna address, neurological? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a particularly interesting area, again, without making particular claims. Of course. Parkinson's is an especially interesting model for us because our hypothesis is that we are increasing the probability of the cells going where we want them to go almost like a quantum physics equation, which is all about the probabilities of things happening and altering probabilities. So if we give stem cells that are circulating everywhere, what is the likelihood that we're gonna get this one little teeny tiny area in the brain that is the root problem in Parkinson's? Yes. Which is a small marble-sized nucleus called the substantia nigra, which means black substance. Mm -hmm. And the cells are dark because that's the color of dopamine when we actually section the brain okay. that accumulates in those areas. What, what is the likelihood of getting cells into that little teeny tiny area of the brain? Right. So we have this process, this deeply penetrating song of the stem cells that we're sending through tissue. And when we work with Parkinson's, we approach it from 
not even two directions, but from three, and where we overlap the beam, where everything intersects, is that one little area, and we go from the uh, less affected side clinically because it's a contralateral process, so if the right side is more affected, we go to the left side first, and then we do the same process for the other side, and then we follow it up with uh, a midline process and then a whole brain process to integrate everything, and without saying it is a quote-unquote treatment, because mm -hmm. we have a whole we have a whole procedure we need to go through with larger scale clinical studies and mm -hmm. and permissions from the FDA for the stages of clinical trials that what we would do. Mm -hmm. We can't say at least anecdotally in particular cases mm -hmm. we have seen. Uh, improvement in function, you know, improving the structure and function of the organ with reduced rigidness of the muscles, reduction of tremor, improved gait stability, and that can happen within 24 hours. Wow, within hours. And what's the likelihood if someone sees this improvement, now they're very encouraged, they've been declining more than they'd like to say, or, you know, obviously they've shared with their practitioner, but maybe they follow up with another treatment, maybe two or three more treatments. What would be the interval? And is there any advantage to doing, say, a treatment uh, every three months or every two months? Uh, because some of them, it seems like, as you mentioned in the heart function study, that one month, two months out, three months up to 53% improvement. So is it logical to kind of let it go its full fruition of improvement and then go ahead with another round and see. And then up to the point where there's no more improvement, we say, okay, we've taken as far as we can go. We're satisfied. And, you know, that way, you know, we're, we're keeping the cost investment, you know, reasonable, but at the same time, we've taken it to the full, fullest reaches because I know I have some clients that we've even done uh, bioidentical testosterone hormone replacement uh, pellets. And Dr. Rebecca Glazier has a whole group of Parkinson's patients that have improved. And I've seen some of these clients improve as well in individuals who I've seen undergo that. But now we're talking about these incredible super um, superhero stem cells that you can now isolate from a person's own blood so it can legally be done in in the country there's no expansion of the cells there's no manipulation it's right. following all the quote fda requirements to do it and you you're even talking about possibly uh it's probably not formal yet but Antigua, where I can go hang out on the island of Antigua, what, a couple hours off the coast of Miami and, and get my follow-up treatments because, I, I, you know, I'm going to break that world record for healthy aging. <laughs> I, I'm a guy who, when I set my mind to, you know, there is no limits at what I'm going to do. I'll raise the money. I'll do crowdfunding, whatever it takes. <laughs> it's going to happen. But let me, let, let me understand this. So would there be some kind of an interval? Has anyone ventured that far to kind of do multiple treatments to see how far they could take it? Absolutely. And the answer is generally it's individual. Okay. So for a given treatment, there is such a, a great interperson variability that we always say, let us play out the full result from a given treatment before we do the next. Right. The exception would be if someone like you is interested in pushing the envelope of anti-aging. And there isn't anything that we're actually treating. Okay. We're just giving it for general regenerative, restorative life enhancement purposes, then you might choose a schedule of every year at least if you're serious and maybe even every six months if you're wanting to be like the poster child, the leading example of of 
being in a very youthful body, whatever the year happens to be. So Well, I kind of see myself as Captain America mixed with Iron Man, his wit, and maybe the Hulk <laughs> a little bit, maybe not that big or green, but uh, I, I kind of want to be that superhero that like kind of just eases into that 100 year, you know, 120, you know what I mean? I got you. No, okay. I, I love the superhero stuff and I love those metaphors. <laughs> I think they're a great example for us. I, I think we yeah. want to be all those guys. I think at so. Some level. And yeah. you, know, you know, I like it because uh, I don't know if it's DC or Marvel comic, one of them, but they portray people in their human frailties too mm -hmm. you know they've got that little say personality defect if you will <laughs> like you know I, i'm one of them right i'm like out there like come on i'm gonna break this record and guys are looking at me like what are you talking about you're 65 years old what the heck are you even out here competing you watch me watch what i do when, when we step up to the stage and they're like oh, a little surprise when i you know i push the envelope on them so i think that you know we all have that in ourselves we all come from a place of as I age and I recognize, oh, hmm, I remember when I was 20. I remember when I was 30, but maybe I don't remember as clearly until I've done some interventions with supplements and herbs and lifestyle medicine and pushing the envelope of working out and getting quality sleep and not using, shall we say, you know, stimulants that overtax my adrenals, but at the same time being, you know, reasonable. But I still see, you know, even with natural bioidentical hormones, I go, hmm, there's a few areas that I'm like, Mm, I'd like them to just get back up to that next level or even beyond, right? Right, right. And that's where I think the V-cells come in. It's okay. a missing link okay. to having the, if you want to call it, the cellular intervention. I mean, my dream when I got into this work with stem cells was to have a stem cell with long telomeres. Because if you're going to give an anti-aging cell, you want to have the clock reset if it's going to go instruct the other cells to behave like a cell that's much younger. And I really believe that with enough work, we could figure out, say, with the so-called IPS, the induced pluripotential stem cells, that we'd figure out a way that we could reset the telomeres to have stem cells that could become what we need, but reset the aging clock. Well, it's happened for us. We've happened upon, we've stumbled upon, we've had the the grace, as it were, to have these cells that our body just prepares for us. We just simply need to awaken them and direct them. We're just at the infancy of understanding. There's so much more that we can do with these cells. Right now, we're simply taking the cells that are already in blood. We have a validated mechanism and process for separating and concentrating them from blood and then awakening them to be active, giving them systemically so they can have a head-to-toe anti-aging effect increasing the probability of regenerating healthy structure and function wherever we direct them to increase the probability that the effect is concentrated there. And that's just the beginning. There's so much more that we can do as we go. This is just the beginning, just the tip of the iceberg. So I plan to do a test called DNA age. Mm -hmm. And if I understand correctly, it kind of measures the, the biological age that I'm at. And so that would be the perfect thing for me, at least, to kind of measure before and after the treatments that I'm going to undergo with you. And that being said, you, you like how progressive and like assured I'm going to do this, right? That's, that's just my <laughs> mindset, right? Like a Tony Robbins thing. Right, like, right, right, right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to just break through walking on that, those coals, those fire, fire coals, right? So that being said, um, I, I, I see myself doing the treatments and at the same time being realistic 
about what's going on with my body. I, I must have spent, I mean, I, I can't even tell you tens of thousands of dollars, you know, over the course of time of measuring, you know, my urinary hormones, my saliva, my blood levels, my looking under the microscope, understanding at what stage I'm at. Because realistically, if I'm going to break that, when I break that, not if, when, mm -hmm. when I'm going to break that world record for healthy aging, I have to know, you know, realistically, am I being uh, a placebo? Is this, is this real because i know with vet stem they were doing horses dogs and cats and doing stem cells that as i wrote about in my book that's only available to practitioners uh stem cells for joint fitness and i talked about how these horses were back out running you know where they should have been you know put to rest i mean dogs cats and and you know animals don't have placebo so so <laughs> they are truly rejuvenating and uh dr shaw a london trained uh physician who's doing stem cells in in a certain part of the world that that i went out to and and viewed his work with uh, mris before after athletes resurfacing cartilage which i don't think anyone in the world's had proof of being able to show you could resurface cartilage once it's lost so that being said you know i'm i'm one of these people who i stayed low for a long time on stem cells because i didn't think there was any new advancements that warranted me being involved with at that stage until you know i've been studying this this field very closely and what intrigued me the most was can i truly get in there and reverse aging which leads me to my next question david sinclair is a harvard trained uh, professor i believe he wrote a book lifespan that i finished reading and he's talking about that it's not just the chromosomes the telomeres and you know uh, the what he talks about i believe is about eight different um ways to quantify aging but he talks about this um the mitochondria and the nad the production of of atp and um the you know nadh is there any work going on with these uh very uh these v cells if you will uh these stem cells that show that it might improve the whole apparatus of energy production because once you're unable to produce energy you know life ceases right i mean so is there some work in that uh, area going on with either some of your colleagues or yourself as far as i know that is beyond the work that's been done with v-cells so far i mean they've really been controversial some have disputed that they even exist the counts that people get are usually not as high as we achieve probably because we are awakening the cells and causing them to express the markers that allow us even to measure them as as v-cells so their metabolic state is as yet a mystery, but it would be logical if they've been dormant since the time we are born, their telomeres are not shortening, that when they do undergo rounds of replication, they activate telomerase to extend their telomeres anyway, that they probably are metabolically robust, they probably do have relatively non-aged mitochondrial DNA, so I expect that they will show their robustness in all areas, including mitochondria, but we don't have that data yet. Okay. It's promising. It's exciting. I'd love to be part of the whole process and most likely your uh, po poster child, as you, as you <laughs> referred to. I want to be that superhuman being that uh, steps up and, and kind of breaks that all-time world record for healthy aging. Why? Because, you know, at some point, um, I think it's important that we do think about pushing the limits because aging as we understand it is a terrible situation. Uh, I, I get the wisdom and the whole thing about just, just Nick be satisfied with being an old guy. And you know, it's cool. It's cool. I mean, I, I, from the mental perspective, I get it. And I, I understand there is an end point, but why should I just like 
we, in my generation, saw John F. Kennedy talking about landing on the moon, and everyone thought that's that's impossible. But once they set their goals for it, they put all the teams together to work, and they did it right. And you see the recount. Some people still don't believe. Oh, there was never a satellite, you know, a spaceship that ever landed on the moon and everything. But okay, I, I get the skeptics, but true birth certificate documentation there have been individuals and i do understand there's only uh i believe 70 people in the world that are past the age of 110 so it's a very rarefied air area of uh, pursuit but it can be done right well and i think the big thing is that we know people can live to be 110 even 120 but we don't see so many examples that look like we want to look if we get to be that age so so the goal is to look as we do now or younger when we're at that century mark. Absolutely. I'm all in. This is Dr. Nick Delgado. Living beyond 124 is the goal. <laughs> being strong, being happy, being healthy with Dr. Todd Ovakaitis. In the show notes, we'll include a link for a special on your new book called Growing Younger. And is that an ebook or a printed book? Uh, right now, electronic. No problem. We'll, uh, I'm sure my audience will want to hear more about the progress and want to see what my journey turns out to be. I'm, I'm going after it. We're going we're gonna to put this body under every imaginable measurement you can uh, consider. So uh, it's, 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 it's exciting. It's fun. And I'm hoping you're all in as well because uh, we must, not we might, we must accomplish this goal just at very least to help the people who are uh, falling below the joy of life, uh, the quality of life. And at very least, that should be the pursuit. No one can, again, promise a cure or to reverse a disease, but you do have some of my colleagues, Dr. Michael Greger in Lifestyle Medicine, writing this incredible book, How Not to Die, documenting 20 different chronic diseases that are reversible and preventable. And uh, I had him on my show as a guest, and now we're so fortunate to have Dr. Todd Ovakaitis, and his work will continue to put out before you because I think it is truly mind-blowing and life-changing. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Please give us a review on iTunes, and we'll be happy out of the group of reviews to choose a lucky winner of one of our award-winning products. It could be EsterBlock, Adrenal DMG, Stem Cell Strong, or even Power and Speed. We'll ship you a bottle at no cost. You'll enjoy it just from basically giving us a review on iTunes. Also, visit DelgadoProtocol.com. That's DelgadoProtocol.com and take our free hormonal quiz. Looking forward to assisting you to be your absolute best.